Hey, good morning, FCF. Uh, good to be back with you again this morning. We're not meeting the way we would like to, but at least we are together. I am excited about this series of messages because I know what the Spirit of God can do through this kind of truth to, be, to bring deep inner changes inside of a human being. So the series is called The Pathway to Wholeness, and what we've stated is this, that as human beings, we knowingly or unknowingly are driven to always be seeking what we would call the best life ever or the highest happiness we can achieve. However, we have toxic conditions inside of us that we're usually not aware of, and as long as these toxic conditions have, are unrecognized and unresolved, it is impossible for us to experience the quality of life that our Creator fully intends us to experience. So, I want to start on this message by talking about what I consider to be the perhaps the, the king of all toxic inner conditions that we experience as human beings. It's sort of uh, the, the one that creates multiple others. And let me just give you a little bit of uh, the symptoms of it and perhaps you'll find this familiar. It's a condition that causes us to be constantly more or less suspicious. We, we have this uncomfortable feeling that wherever we go, whatever we're doing, we're being judged, we're being looked at, we're being scrutinized. We, we anticipate people are going to look upon us negatively or find fault with us or reject us or betray us or abandon us. It causes us sometimes to be hyper suspicious and, and even those that accuse people close to us again and again of things that they never perhaps even thought of. It's a tormenting inner condition. We never feel really safe. We never feel loved. We never feel wanted. We never feel the ability to be truly connected. We have this sense that we're the outsider always looking in, almost like a ghost moving through life. And it causes us to be lonely in a painful and a haunting way. And we try. We try all kinds of ways to cope with this. And yet, nothing usually works because the truth is, even though there's multiple degrees of this malady, and let me just say this, this is a universal problem. If you're hearing this message, you have this problem or have had it to some degree. We all have it as human beings. It's just differing degrees and differing expressions. There's seven and a half billion people. There's seven and a half billion different expressions of this inner toxic condition. But here's the unique thing. There's only there's only actually one singular remedy. There are not many. We try multiple means of coping with this toxic, tormenting inner condition, but there's only one real way that it can be dealt with. You might be wondering, and some of you probably went ahead and guessed, uh, what this condition is. Well, the condition is one that when you say the word, it sounds kind of innocuous, but when you live with its torment, you know it's anything but innocuous. And it's the word insecurity. And this toxic condition is ancient, ancient in its roots. So what I want to do is take the first part of this message and let, let's ask, how, how did we get here? How did we as a human species uh, become affected by this toxic condition. And remember what I said, there's not a human being that's ever been born that doesn't have this condition. We all have it in differing degrees. We're all coping the best we can, but there's only one real way that it can be dealt with. So we want to ask ourselves, what are the roots? What are the roots of this problem? And when I said it's ancient, I mean it's really ancient. I want to take you back 
to the very first book of God's revelation. It's called the book of Genesis. I'm going to take you to chapter 3, and you're going to hear some un unusual things there. Some of you will be familiar with it, some of you not. But I'm going to take you to Genesis chapter 3, and I'm going to start reading first in chapter 2. The Creator created a man and a woman, put them in a beautiful surrounding, and He gave them only one forbidden. In chapter 2 of Genesis, verse 17, then I'm going to spend the rest of the time in chapter 3, the Creator says this, You must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. So, this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the Creator is lovingly warning them, Take care of yourselves. You can have anything else in this garden uh, that I've provided for you, and it's beautiful. You can read about it on your own in chapter 2. But just stay away from this one thing, because this thing will ruin you. It will kill you. It'll, it'll destroy you. Let's get to chapter 3. Chapter 3. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Let me pause and tune you in a little bit. The, the word that's translated ser serpent here in the Hebrew, it's a Greek or it's a Hebrew word, nakash. And it's talking about a serpentine looking entity that is shining. It's called, the, we could have translated it the shining one, but it's a serpentine appearing entity, but this entity is upright. This could be very important for the future to tuck away. A serpentine-looking entity facially, but that is upright. So, this being, this entity, who doesn't seem to shock the first two humans by its coming into the garden and talking to them, says that, uh, says, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? God said they could eat from all the trees except one. The woman said, verse 2, to the serpent, the Nakash, we may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Listen to what the serpent says. The serpent says, if you eat of that tree, you, you can be like God yourself. The Creator is holding back. The reason He didn't want you to eat of that tree is because He wants to keep you under Him. He wants to keep you down. He wants to keep you dependent. He wants to keep you foolish and naive. If you eat of that, you can be like the Creator. You can be eternal. You can be immortal. You can be all-knowing and all-wise. It was pretty good bait. Mind you, the first humans had never, ever experienced deceit of any kind. It didn't exist. Their encounters were limited to with one another and with their Creator. It goes on. Verse 6, When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then their eyes of both of them were open, so they did experience an awakening of some sort. Something cognitively occurred in their brain. The eyes of them both were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Now listen to what happens next. Verse 8, The man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden of the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. 
But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And I'll stop there. This is a tremendous change that has occurred in these first two humans. Prior to this, and we don't know how much time, they were comfortable in face-to-face -face communion with the Creator of the entire universe. He came, He met with them, He talked with them, He expanded their knowledge, He was helping them develop gradually the way that He intended them to. They were in perfect surroundings, perfect relationship with their Creator, with their environment, with one another. They had nothing to fear except the one thing. God said, don't partake of this one tree because when you do, it'll destroy you. As long as they stayed away from that, they were perfectly safe, perfectly secure. All of a sudden, when they eat of this tree, when they break trust with the Creator, because you have to understand what was happening here. This entity, this Nakash, this upright serpentine being who had great wisdom, obviously, he convinces them that the Creator who created them was a liar, that he couldn't be trusted. He told you that if you eat of that tree, you'll die. You're not going to die. You're going to be like God yourself. So he slanders the Creator, convinces these two humans that the Creator cannot be trusted, and they bought it. They broke trust with the Creator in the desire to be equal to the Creator. And now what happens? They hear the voice of the Creator, the voice that probably meant so much to them previously, that made their hearts jump with joy and hope and, and all the wonderful warm things that we experience as humans. And all of a sudden now, they're afraid and they run and they hide. And this is a picture of the condition of the human race ever since then. This is the entrance of insecurity. The first two humans were totally secure in their relationship with their Creator, in their relationship with one another, in their environment. But once they broke trust with their Creator, now they were afraid. They were afraid of their Creator, the one that created them, the one that sustains them, the one that provided for them, the one that protects them, the one whose direction they desperately needed, the one who could help them to be nurtured and developed to be the beings that He meant them to be, like unto his, Himself. But all of a sudden, they're scared. They're insecure. And if you follow the conversation that goes on, they immediately, in fear, start turning on one another. Uh, the first thing that happens is the man blames the woman. The woman blames the serpentine being. And so, all of a sudden, insecurity, fear, uncertainty, forebodings uh, enter into the human race, and insecurity has been tormenting human beings ever since. Now, I mentioned some things early in this message, and I know that for some of you, if not all of us at various times in our life, various degrees, we've experienced it. It brings this awful sense of suspicion and uncertainty. We wonder how people perceive us. We feel they're judging us negatively. We're anticipating rejection. We sometimes so anticipate rejection, we cause the rejection, because at least that gives us some feeling of control. We go through imaginary scenarios of how somebody might be meaning a certain thing when they talk. We reinterpret things and we always reinterpret them in a way that we're expecting betrayal, abandonment, rejection to be criticized or set, set aside. And our loneliness only gets worse. But we don't, we don't just sit, sit still for it. We try desperately to become secure because it's within us to become secure. I want to read you a verse. It's from Proverbs chapter 19, verse 22, and it says this. It says, what a person desires is unfailing love. Why? 
Why are we such love-driven creatures? And we are. You can give a human being anything else they want in life, but if they don't feel, listen to what I'm saying, if they don't feel loved, they are terribly unsettled. A person might actually be loved, but if we don't have the capacity anymore to feel that we're loved, we are tormented with insecurity. Where did this come from? Because the scripture tells us we were made by Christ and for Him, and God is love personified. And so we are beings that are love-driven. We are ever in pursuit. We are ever hungry and thirsty for perfect love, and perfect love cannot exist unless we feel perfectly secure. And so even though we're in a very unsecure world, insecure world, because evil has entered in. And by the way, folks, it's impossible to have a secure world as long as there is any tiny vestige of evil. But nevertheless, we pursue whatever degree of security that we can find. Now, I'm going to just take you through some scriptures that show various ways that typically we try to cope with these feelings of insecurity. One of the first things we do is we will try to uh, look for human beings to solve our problem. I'm going to read to you from Isaiah chapter 2, verse 22. It says, Don't put your trust in mere humans. They are as frail as breath. But that's what we do. The security that we hunger and thirst for, we try to find it from another human being. It might be a spouse. It might be a child. It might be a family member. It might be a friend. We, we try desperately to get that other human being to meet somehow this gnawing, uncomfortable, tormenting feeling of uncertainty that lives within us. And so that's the first place we usually look. We look to human beings. And yet, Scripture, the Creator says, you know, human beings are never going to be able to, to bring healing, to bring the remedy to that inner torment that you experience because of your insecure condition. The second place we tend to look as we look to ourselves. Let me read another scripture. This is from Proverbs chapter 28, verse 26. It's a simple statement. It says, He who trusts in himself is a fool. So here's the Creator telling us, saying, you don't have what it takes. You're a dependent creature. You might think that you can armor your heart. You might think that you can outthink and outrun everybody and everything. You might think that you can reject others before they reject you. You might think that you can keep your life so crowded with faces and places and things that the pain of your insecurity will never catch up with you. But the Creator says, if you trust in yourself, if you think you have what it takes to solve the inner torment of insecurity, He says, you're never going to find that capacity, that ability within yourself. The third place we sometimes look is in what I would call politics or systems of government or governmental ideologies. Listen to this from the book of Psalms, chapter 146, verse 3. It says, Do not put your trust in the rulers of this world, kings and princes. Do not expect any rescue from mortal men. Sometimes we feel like, man, if we could just get the right government system or the right social structures, then we could feel secure, then we could feel safe, then the whole world will be secure. But the Creator says it just isn't going to happen because evil has entered into humanity. It's in each of our lives, it's in each of our hearts even. And as long as it's there, there's no political system, there's no philosophy, there's no governmental style, there's no social justice system that is ever going to bring a secure society. But sometimes we'll, we'll look to that and we'll crusade. We'll invest our whole life in a pursuit of some sort of a governmental political philosophy to try to bring security into our own 
insecure hearts and into our own insecure world. The next place that we find a lot of human beings looking is to wealth. Proverbs 11.28 says this, it says, Those who trust in their wealth are headed for great disappointment. We think to ourselves, if I could just have enough money, then I'd be secure. If I had enough money to last me till retirement or past retirement, or if I amassed enough wealth, then I could, I could build safety nets all around my life. And even if the worst happened to me, I could buy whatever I, I wanted to. I could even perhaps buy love in some measure. So we pursue wealth thinking that's going to help us to be secure. But we all know that's, that's silly, that's foolish. And the Creator tries to warn us and says, don't do it. It will only leave you disappointed ultimately. But we will try sometimes to make ourselves feel secure by accumulating wealth. And then finally, in the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament, it says, what sorrow awaits those depending on the strength of human armies? Sometimes we de depend on pure power, we think if I could just become powerful enough, if I had control enough, if I had force of will enough, if, if people were fearful enough of me, if I had the, the power of an army, then I could be secure, then I could be safe. But again, it's false, it's, it's folly. Human history is full of examples that you cannot be secure through pure brute force. Not even the most powerful army is ultimately secure. Now, I don't know. I don't know what means you may have tried through your lifetime to, to heal or to bring comfort or to cope is a better way of putting it with this, this gnawing, tormenting feeling of insecurity. And what I said at the beginning, I know we're all not equally tormented by this, but here's the truth. We all have tried some kind of a coping system in the past before we've come at least to understand the ways of our Creator and the truth about life as He reveals it in His Word, we, we've all tried. It's instinctive. We can't help it. We're so uncomfortable. We just keep trying one thing after another to try to take away the torment of our inner insecurity. But I said at the start of this talk, the truth is this, although there are seven and a half billion expressions of this inner torment and seven and a half billion attempts to cope with it, there is truly only one single remedy. Now, some of you are going to think, you know, well, Randy, you know, I don't know if I buy that or not. Well, that's your prerogative. I, 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 I trust you and respect you, but I'm telling you, the Creator makes it very clear to us. He's not trying to lock us in or box us in. He knows that He made us in His own image. He knows that we're designed. We were meant to experience the quality of life that He Himself experiences, but we can't unless this problem of insecurity is remedied and only and only the Creator can remedy this problem. Let me read a verse to you from Psalm 125 and beginning in verse 1. It's a simple statement. It says, Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which can never be shaken, never be moved. Now I want to ask you a simple question. We all have various degrees of this insecurity, but, but have you experienced such a trust in your Creator? Have you experienced that kind of a trust in your Creator that, that in spite of your inner insecurity, something's happened that you are becoming, if not have totally become, an unshakable human being? Let me rephrase it. How unshakable are you, are we? 
How stable are we? What does it take to rattle you and I? How secure are we because of our trust in our Creator? And that's the remedy, folks. There is only one singular remedy. The roots of this thing are ancient, like I say, and we can come up with all the coping systems we want. In fact, we can spend our whole life relying on some of these faulty coping systems. But the truth is this. The Scripture says we were made by Christ and for Him, and apart from Him, we never will find that healing, that security that He alone can give us. It's only when the Creator's will is done in the whole universe that the universe will once again be perfectly secure. But we can start progressively experiencing security inwardly once again when we return to our Creator in true trust. This is not about superstition. This is not about trying to figure out Okay, what can I do to get the, the Creator on my side? Does He want me to recite some prayers? Does He want me to give some money? Does He want me to attend church? What, what does He want me to do? How can I get the Creator on my side and off my back? That's not what it's about. It's about the realization that you are a being that was made in the image of God for Christ. And then until you and I are completely reconciled to Him, completely reunited to Him in trust, we can't ever start to heal from this toxic, tormenting condition called insecurity. Our coping attempts will only deepen the problem and it will take a different shape and different form. Let me read you another verse in Psalm 118 verse 6. It says, The Lord is with me. I will not be afraid of what man can do to me. When God is at work in our lives, once we return to Christ our Creator and trust, we start becoming Follow what I'm going to say here because I don't want you to misunderstand. We, we become increasingly fearless. Now, here's what I, what I don't mean. We do not become reckless, but we increasingly become fearless. We're not so concerned what people think of us or what they can do to us. We can look at worst case scenarios of what they think, what they do, what level of rejection, and we know that because we are united to our Creator, that that is sufficient. So, there's a kind of an inner healing that has to take place directly by the Creator inside of us that creates a new perspective, a new confidence. We start living our life with a new perspective from this perspective that the Creator is with us. And because He is with us, because He is for us, we now are less and less fearful of the rejection of human beings. Now, what, this is what I said. The Creator is always moving us to be fearless but not reckless. In other words, there's some things in life we, we really should fear. You know, you shouldn't be just jumping out of airplanes with no parachute. There's some things we're supposed to fear. But within the boundaries of rational conduct and the way that we're designed to live, the Creator will always be moving us to a place of less fear. Never recklessness, but less fear. Let me read you a third thing. This is in the book of Hebrews, chapter 13, verse 5 in the New Testament. It says, God has said, this is to those that have returned to Christ their Creator and trust, God has said, I will never leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid what mere mortals do to me. Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. These are some of those powerful words a human soul can ever take in. You have, I have, every human that's ever been born has wanted 
to be face to face with the Creator and feel completely safe, completely loved, completely wanted, and hear the Creator speak to our hearts in an authoritative way, I'll never leave you or forsake you. I am for you. I am not against you. I love you. Let me guide you. Let me put you on the pathway to wholeness. Let me lead you into the truth about your nature, the way I designed you so that you can experience life in all its fullness. We need this above all to know that the Creator will never leave us, never forsake us. I, as a kid, I don't want to get into all of this. I experienced a great, great deal of abandonment in my life growing up. And when I first became a Christian, a follower of Jesus, one that trusted in the Creator, Jesus, His promise that He would never leave me and forsake me, that meant tremendous amounts to me. Because I, I just didn't know that any relationship could ever be like that. I, I just felt like sooner or later everybody would get sick of me and abandon me, betray me, reject me. And that had been my, you know, my experience. And maybe some of you feel the same way. I let that truth sink into my heart. And it's been progressively, not overnight, progressively relieving me of this toxic condition of insecurity. You say, Randy, are, are you perfectly secure now? Are you perfectly healed? No, I wish I could say I was. But I can tell you one thing. I am not the tormented, crazed soul that I was at age 23 when I first came to trust in Christ. He has progressively healed me as I have followed Jesus on this pathway to wholeness. As I have learned His will, learned His way through His Word for myself, taken His Word in. When He said to do something, I put it into practice. When He said to stop something, I stopped it. It is by that process that gradually, progressively, on this pathway to wholeness, I've experienced progressive healing of this tormenting problem of insecurity, and I've gone from torment to tranquility progressively. Let me read you a fourth scripture in Psalm 147.3. This is the powerful one. This is the deal breaker. This is the one you're going to love and hate simultaneously. In Psalm 147.3, it says this, He heals the brokenhearted, and He binds up their wounds. What is this saying? You know, you can't get your heart healed unless it's first broken. It says He doesn't heal healthy hearts. It says He, the Creator, Christ, He heals broken hearts. Well, what is the implications of this? Here's where this gets scary, and here's where this gets really exciting. And this is what unleashes the power of God's healing in our souls to relieve us of the torment of insecurity and to move us into a place of tranquility. It's saying this, I must, you must, we must so trust Christ our Creator. We must so believe that He's for us, He's with us, He'll never leave us, He'll never forsake us. We must so be confident in His power and His pledge. It's a pledge here to heal the brokenhearted that we walk through this life with our hearts open. We let down our protective shields and we give ourselves to love others. We give ourselves to care. We don't try to protect ourselves. We don't live in suspicion. We don't live walled up. We deliberately put ourselves out there where we can be hurt, taken advantage of, betrayed, abandoned, the whole nine yards. Yes, yes, where our hearts are broken. It's kind of like walking you know, right into emotional cannon fire. Our God is saying, I'm with you. Don't worry about what mere mortal man can do to you. And even if, some of you, some of you got to hear this because this is where, where you're, you're, you're uncomfortable going. And trust me, this is where we have to go to break the power of insecurity. 
we have to go to the place where we say, Lord Jesus, I, I am so confident in you and in your faithfulness and your pledge to heal me that even if my heart gets broken, even if I go through that agony of a broken heart, and we all know how, how agonizing it is, there's, there's nothing like it. There's nothing like that, that brutal form of rejection, betrayal, abandonment, heartbreak. But here's the Creator saying, even if your heart gets broken, I promise you, I'll heal it. I'll heal your broken heart. Take it from one that has experienced the truth of this. He not only heals our broken hearts, but in the process expands our capacity to give, to love, to care, to feel compassion, sympathy, and we become increasingly less fearful of rejection. And it literally liberates us when I am so confident that no matter what life dishes out to me, no matter what level of rejection, even the most agonizing and excruciating true heartbreak I'm talking about, that the Creator is really faithful and capable of healing my broken heart. I become rather bold, but it's not because I'm confident in me, I'm confident in Him. You say, Randy, how do you, how do you get to this place where you're confident in this God? You can't see Him, you can't hear Him. Well, you have a spirit like I have a spirit, and His spirit inhabits this remarkable book called the Bible. And if you will give the time and attention to let Him speak to you through His Word, then His Spirit will bear witness with your spirit and you will know this truth. And as Jesus said, this truth will set you free, free from that torment of insecurity and move you toward that place of tranquility progressively. For some of you, what you've got to hear today, because you've still been trying to protect yourself, you've still been playing the suspicions game, you've still been playing the accusations game, you've been trying to prepare different versions of yourself, you, you, you've turned yourself inside out to try to feel secure, to win the approval, to buy the approval, whatever it is, you've got to let it go. You've got to just be willing to love, to feel love, and to let your heart get broken. You know what the terrible curse is? The terrible curse is not to get your heart broken. The terrible curse is to so harden ourselves because of fear of getting our heart broken, to so harden ourselves for the fear of rejection that we never, <laughs> we never love at all. That's the ultimate curse. It's not a broken heart. Broken hearts are good. They're open to God in a deeper way. They're open ultimately to others. It's hardened hearts that are the curse. We all tend to do it. We want to protect ourselves. We want to wall ourselves off. Don't do it. Don't do it. You've got to be willing to so trust Christ, your Creator, that you'll even let your heart get broken with pure confidence that He can heal you no matter how bad the hurt. Trust me on this one. Trust me. This will start to set you free. It will take you from the place of torment that you don't have to stay there anymore and progressively put you on the path to wholeness, the path toward tranquility. I want to close with an illustration. Uh, allow me to kind of move your mind and your imagination a bit. Picture a scenario like this. Picture that there are some Christ-following medical missionaries, and they've been working with some primitive tribes, maybe in the Amazon, maybe in some other part of the world, Erie and Jaya, you know, wherever they happen to be. But they're working with primitive tribes. They, they've been amongst them for two or three years. They've kind of built a friendship. They've learned their language to a degree. And as life goes on, one day they happen to see one of the villagers. The villager was familiar with them. It's a young man. 
young adult man. They're familiar with him. And all of a sudden, they see this young man grab his stomach and collapse on the ground. These medical missionaries go rushing over to him, and they realize immediately by touching him in various places, this, this is acute appendicitis. And they know that there's nothing, there's only one remedy, there's only one remedy, that if they don't do immediate surgery, that this young man is going to have, follow with me now, he's going to have unnecessary torment for a prolonged period of time, and ultimately an unnecessary ruined life. He's going to die, unnecessary death. So now they have the dilemma. How did they convince this primitive tribesman that they must immediately do this surgery on him? And, and they're trying to explain to him they've got to take this needle first. And he sees it in terror. He thinks it's a weapon of warfare. They are trying to explain, we have to inject you with this so you won't feel the pain so that we can cut you open and take your appendix out. Because unless we cut you open and take your appendix out, unless we hurt you, we can't heal you. And they're trying desperately to win his trust. And he's going back and forth in his mind. He's terrified by the thought that I have to entrust myself to these people, even though they've been good to us for two or three years. The man has never seen anything like this. His imagination doesn't allow him to even understand it. How can cutting me open and taking out an organ, how can this ultimately bring healing? And they're trying to convince him, your pain is unnecessary. Your torment is unnecessary. We can absolutely absolutely take you from torment to a place of health and wholeness and tranquility. But you have to let us hurt you. You have to trust yourself to us. You have to be willing to let us do what we say is the one single remedy, or else you're going to continue to suffer unnecessarily, and you're going to unnecessarily be destroyed before your time. The Spirit of God is speaking to some of us today. He said this to me at times in my life. You don't have to, you don't have to continue to experience this degree of pain and suffering and torment. It is unnecessary. There is one remedy. The remedy is a person. It is Christ our Creator. Our hearts hunger for Him. Every bit of happiness we pursue, it's really Him. He's the source of happiness. Every bit of love we pursue, it's Him. He's the originator of love. It's only He that can start to bring progressive security to our tormented, insecure souls now. And it's only He, when His kingdom comes in its fullness, who will bring universal, eternal, and perfect security forevermore. I am pleading with you, if you've never stepped onto the path of wholeness and put your trust in Christ and become His follower, this is what you were always destined to do and to be as a human being. And it is the only remedy, trust me on this one, it's the only remedy to bring healing to that tormenting condition we call insecurity and bring you to a place of true inner tranquility to replace it. You pray with me. Father, you know who we are today, and we, we can wear some good masks and we can we can present a good image, but you know us in secret. You know us from the inside out, and we on multiple levels know that you know us, and that you know us like no one else. I pray that your spirit will bear witness to those who are experiencing the most torment and who need 
to trust in you, Lord Jesus, the most. I pray that you'll, you'll enter into their lives in a way that will dispel their confusion. And they might, if they need to trust you on a much deeper level, to get more serious about your word, whatever it is they need to do, that you'll start giving them clarity on this and you'll draw them. Give them confidence that, that we can face all the hurts there are in life because you are more than adequate to heal us. You will never leave us, never forsake us. You are for us and not against us. When we trust in you, we can become unshakable as Mount Zion itself is. Spirit of God, I pray for those that have never even heard these kinds of truths about you, our God, and truths about life that come from you and from your word. May your spirit bear witness to them. This is the way. Walk in it because it's the pathway to wholeness. I ask these things in Christ our Creator's name. Amen. FCF, thank you so much.